Good morning. My name is Adam, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Just want to welcome you. Thanks so much for being here. I've got a great morning. This is one of my favorite things to do as a pastor, and that's baptism. Uh, we kind of put this in this service uh, for those kind of catch everyone up, of those of you maybe guests of ours. Expectation is the series that we're in right now. And we kind of based expectation, uh, that's the title, from a guy by the name of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist came before Jesus. He kind of came and he kind of preached to the, the nation of Israel in that day. And he said, hey, get ready for this guy coming who is going to come and save us from our sins. Who's going to come and bring us into peace and relationship with God. The guy's been promised all through the Old Testament. Now, John the Baptist, he comes and he preaches and he's got all these expectations of what the kingdom of God is, what he called it. He ends up in jail. And he's in jail, and he's in jail because he preached out against the rulers of the day. He preached out against, hey, this is about Jesus, and he's preaching this message of repentance. He goes to jail, and as he's hanging out in jail, he sends a message out to Jesus. And the message goes something like this. He goes, hey, I see all that you're doing. I see the lame being healed. I see the blind receiving sight. I see the incredible things taking place. But are you the one that was promised and are you the one to come or should we, and here's our word, should we expect, should we expect someone else? Jesus' message goes back to John and basically it was this, John, you know what? Here's what you see and what you see is what's been promised. You're right. There's some cool things happening and blessed is the person who does not fall away on account of me. In other words, Jesus is saying, John, you're right. You are on the money. Your expectation is it has been fulfilled but I'm the one that's also going to leave you in prison to lose your head. So we've been talking about sometimes we walk into life and we have these expectations of God and these expectations that he's always going to come through for us. We have these expectations that God is really about my comfort and my safety and my security. And, and we run into at times in life runs into, now wait a minute, God, are you really who you say you are? So we've just been talking about expectations and who Jesus is and, and make sure they're measuring up with ours. And this morning, we're doing baptism because um, it, it, John the Baptist, one of the guys we've been talking about, so hey, he baptized, so why don't we do a baptism service? But more than that, we're also doing it because we as a church expect to fulfill this passage. It comes in a book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. It's a guy by the name of Matthew writes this. It's a guy who hung out with Jesus, a guy who was, who was looked at in the religious community. As, there's no hope. He was a tax collector. He was hated. He was despised. He meets Jesus. He finds life. He hangs out with Jesus. And as Jesus is heading back to heaven after his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus says to his, his friends, his guys, his, his, the guys that have been hanging out with him, here's what I want you to know. Then Jesus came to them, it says, and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So in other words, he says, listen, I am fully God. I have all authority to do this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all what? Nations. It's not just about you guys. He's saying, it's not just about the Jewish people we've been hanging out with. This is about all nations. This is about all people who are far from me. This is about all people who are disconnected from me. This is about all people who don't do life the way you do it, but I want you to go. I want you to reach them, and I want you to make disciples, bring them into a relationship with me, into a relationship with God. It's kind of the expectation we have as a church is that we do this. And then he goes on and says this, as you, as you reach people with this message and they become disciples, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then he adds, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So he says, I want you to go do this and I'm going to be with you as you do this. 
So here at Bethany, we have an expectation. That's why it fits in this series, that we see people come to know Jesus, that we see people becoming disciples of Jesus. If you've hung out here for any length of time, you, no doubt, have that same expectation. So this morning, we're going to stop and we're going to celebrate people coming to know Jesus. Now, I use the word celebrate, and some of you, how many of you walked in this morning and thought, what on earth is there a beach ball up there for? How many of you thought that, right? Some of you thought, what? Yeah, see, look at those. Some of you put your hand up there. Why does he have a beach? That's just crazy Adam, some of you thought, right? The beach ball is here because I want this on stage. And actually, each person's getting baptized this morning actually got their own little beach ball with today's date. And here's why. What we are doing this morning is a full-blown party. This isn't a dead, stoic, real conservative religious activity. This is a full-blown celebration. What we're doing this morning is we are celebrating. We're going to throw a party. We're going to say, this is awesome. This is the celebration of Jesus doing a cool work in people's lives. So that's what we're going to work towards. So my heart, though, is understanding baptism often, though, when I say it's a celebration, I put a beach ball up here. Some of you think, man, I'm not too sure about this. Because, see, what I understand is baptism carries with it a great deal of emotion at times. It carries with it a great deal of expectation. It carries with it some religious and theological connotations at times. That, and, and so what my heart is, is what I've learned and realized is a lot of time those thoughts and opinions about baptism don't so much come from my personal study as much as they come from my experiences in life. That's what I've learned. For example, I grew up in a church where they, when they baptized people, they put you down forward so you'd get in the water. They'd put your hand behind your head. The pastor would cover your face up, and they'd put you down three times. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Now, here's all I knew. I didn't know a lot about what the Bible said about baptism. All I knew is the church that I went to taught that that is the only acceptable way to do it. So much so that if you were baptized any other way, you had to be rebaptized. But here's what I, here's what, as a kid, I'd watch it and I'd say, you know what? That just looks funny. Especially the good looking girls as I was a teenager and I look up there and I think they really look funny. All this long hair, they come up out of the way, they look like a drowned rat. So again, I was forming opinions, but it wasn't based on my study. It was based on what I experienced and what I saw. I then went to a Bible school and the Bible school was a Baptist Bible school. Now, if you think anyone understands baptism, it's the Baptist, right? So I go off to this Baptist Bible school, and all of a sudden I learn they've got a whole other opinion on baptism. I'm thinking, they, and they're telling me that the three times forward isn't the way you do it. You do it one time backwards. And they went off on their whole reason why that's important. And again, I begin to form opinions, but those opinions weren't so much coming from my study as much as where they were what I was experiencing. Then the pinnacle of my experience came when I became um, a, an official licensed pastor. And I got to do my first baptism. And I was so excited. We had it outside. It was in um, a, a mountain stream up in Mifflin County. Beautiful day, summer day. That all the, I don't know, 300, 400 people gather around this stream. And, and there are three or four teenagers. And I was a youth pastor, so I got to baptize these teenagers. And the teenagers are coming forward. And the first teenager that gets down in the water had an incredible story where Jesus really met her. And Jesus, I mean, it was an, a cool story. And she had overcome so much loss and pain in her life. And I was so excited to see her step forward and, and do this thing called baptism. And she comes down into the water and I'll never forget this. And this was a church that taught you how to go forward three times. And they thought it was, it was so important to do that. So I'm like, okay, we'll do it. 
I go to put her down in the water, right? And she wouldn't go down. I'm like, please go down. So I whisper in her ear, just relax. I'm pushing harder. I'm like, just relax. I'm like, just relax, relax. And she's not relaxing. So I give a good hard shove. Well, the good hard shove kicks her feet free. And now she's floating in the stream. So I quick grab her and I get her put back up. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, we got to do this two more times. So I whisper in her ear. I say, okay. I whisper in her ear. I say one more time. I said, I know there's a lot of people watching. I know that was really, really embarrassing. But just relax. I go to push again, same thing. I'm like, relax. And then she goes forward and starts floating again. Now, I walk away from that. I chuckle now and I laugh and I think, oh my goodness, what a, what a way to start out. But I formed an opinion about baptism. I'm like, this doesn't work. There's got to be another way to do this. But it wasn't so much formed around my study as much as it was around my experience. And a number of you may come from different experiences, whether it be a Catholic or a Presbyterian background where they actually sprinkle babies, or it may come from a Pentecostal background, or you go down a list of all the different backgrounds, or it may just be you have no church background and you've seen something whacked out and crazy on TV that you think, what on earth is that? So what I'm going to do this morning is I want to kind of just kick around and do this a real short study, kind of the history of how we get to doing what we do this morning. Where in the world did it come from? The reason I want to do it is I want to do it as a study so that when we get to the point of doing the actual baptism, we can all celebrate and say, this is awesome. So to do that, I want to start out with a Greek word. Now, let me give a little precursor. I am not a Greek student at all. Matter of fact, I tell people I'm not even an English student. <laughs> I, I struggle with the English language. So when it gets to Greek, it's, it's, it's truly Greek to me. I took some Greek in school. I took some Spanish in school. I don't know either one of them. I mean, it's, it's just, it doesn't work for me. But here's why I put this word up. This is the word. When you go to your New Testament Bible, which was written, some of you may know this, uh, your smart bunch, if you don't, the Bible is written in Greek. In the Bible, when you come to baptize, this is the word you'll see. Baptizo is, is kind of the way to pronounce that. Now, this is the Greek letters. of Now, you don't need to be a Greek scholar to look up there and see what? What word do you see? Baptize, right? Now, here's why this is, this is, why this is important to me. When you translate, again, this is a smart bunch. You guys know this. But when you translate... You take a word in the, and say it's Spanish, and you look at the word, and you say, okay, in Spanish, this is what this word means. You come over to the English language, and say, okay, what English word is the closest to the meaning of this Spanish word? And then you simply, okay, now I translate. Now that's the, the English word I'm going to use. At times, when you're translating languages, you don't have a word. You go to Spanish to English. You go from Greek to English. And you're like, okay, this is what it means here in Greek. You come over to the English and you're like, no, what on earth do we do with this word? So instead of translating, you do, what, do what's called transliterating. Transliterating is simply taking the letters now. Instead of the word, you take the letters. So B in Greek is beta, A is alpha, and you take the Greek letters, the, the letters don't look like that in Greek, and you just move them in to English letters and make it make sense. So baptizo, when you see it most times show up in your Bible, it's actually the same word that's in the Greek. It's just a transliterated word. Now, here's why that's important. In our English language, this baptizo or baptize takes on all kinds of religious theological significance. But in the original language, it did not at all. It meant something a very, I mean, a very common. It was a very common everyday word that simply meant to plunge, to dip, to wash, or to soak. Matter of fact, some of the, some of the Greek 
you know, you'd look at some of the writings that would use this word outside of the Bible and it would refer to a ship drowning or sinking, a human drowning. It would refer to someone getting a washing or, or just scrubbing, washing of hands. They'd say they baptized their hands. One Greek philosopher, Candor, in 200 BC, apparently he was, had quite the pickle recipe. It stood the test of time. And he writes and he says, you take the vegetable and you baptizo it in boiling water. So in other words, you baptize the vegetable in boiling water. Then you take it, and this is, this is funny. You then take the vegetable and you baptize it, baptizo it in vinegar. And then it's saved and it goes to heaven, right? It's a good kosher pickle. In all seriousness, it's just a common everyday word that they used. Matter of fact, in our New Testament Bible, the Bible that some of you have in your hand or on your phone, there's places in that Bible where they did not transliterate, where they actually translate, and they just look at what they did with the word. When they come from the marketplace, this is talking about the religious leaders, they do not eat unless they wash, unless they baptizo, and they observe Many other traditions, such as the baptizoing, there it is, baptize, washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So this afternoon, before you have lunch, make sure you baptize your pots and your pans. Right? Okay, here's another one. Here's another one. is in uh, Luke. Same word. Same exact word. But the Pharisees, noticing that Jesus did not first, there it is, baptizo before the meal, they were surprised. So when you go home this afternoon and or you go out to eat and you go and you're taught to wash your hands before you eat, what are you doing? You're baptizing your hands. It's just a common everyday word in the original language that we have taken to mean things today that's like, wow. So let's talk about where that meaning comes from today. You say, well, how do we get so religious with it? Well, here's why. In the early church, when a Gentile, a non-Jewish person would come to Jerusalem. They would see these Jewish people and the Gentiles of that day, the, especially the religious ones, they were, they were, had all kinds of gods. I mean, you had gods of everything and temples set up all over the place and they were drawn to the Jewish way of doing things, which only had one God monotheistic. I mean, there, there it is one God. I believe in one God. And the Gentiles would come to him and say, man, how do I convert? How do I become like you? So when you look at the writings between there's 400 years, hang with me. If some of you don't have church background, there's 400 years between the Old Testament, what we know as the Old Testament, and we know as the New. It's 400 years in there. And during those 400 years, authors would write about how to, how to convert, how to go from a Gentile to a Jew. Now, when you look at all of the writings and all the teachings, and there's all kinds of lists, some crazy, crazy lists, all the lists generally have five things on them. The first one, there it is. Look at that, guys. You know, today, today, this is a known fact that we typically, men don't like to come to church. Church seems to be a little more feminine. I think probably in that day, it was probably the same thing. I'm not sure I would, uh, your, your wife said, hey, honey, let's go to church and let's convert and become Jewish. I'd be like, oh, it's a lot more skin in the game for me than for you. So that's the first one. You had to get circumcised, Gentiles. Second one, 
Second two, you had to have a covenant meal. Then you had to acknowledge the law. A covenant meal is kind of like a wedding feast, you know, when you have a big meal. I am all in. We're committed. We're together. We're going to make this thing work. Acknowledgement of the law is I would memorize the Ten Commandments or parts of the, what they would call the Torah, and you'd memorize this. And so in your conversion experience, you'd have to recite it back to the religious leader. The fourth one was you had to make some kind of sacrifice. You had a, some kind of sacrifice had to be given. And then the fifth one on almost every single list is a ceremonial baptizoing or washing. Now, what that was is you had to, and it was private. It was fully private. So what it was, if I would go through these other four and maybe some others that they'd add to the list for me and my, for my unique situation, then I would go and I would wash privately. Basically, what I'm doing is I'm symbolizing my, I'm getting rid of my Gentileness is what I'm saying, and I'm going to move forward in the new way, in the new way of living. That's all it was. But it was private. It wasn't public. Then this guy named John. Okay, so that's all the history of the word. Now, so how do we get to where we are today, right? Have you ever asked that? Why on earth do we do this? Then this guy named John shows up. Talked about him earlier. John shows up with this message. He just says clearly. He says, guys, listen. He preaches hard. He preaches fire and brimstone like you've never seen. And he preaches it across everywhere he goes. He says, repent. In other words, turn. Change your ways. Because God is about to show up in Jesus. He's going to do some really cool things, some brand new. And if you don't get your life straightened out, you're not going to be on the same page as he is. And there's going to be real problems for you. So he says, get ready for Jesus. Repent. Now, he does something then very interesting. He then walks down in, it says, to the Jordan River. It's a river there in in Israel. And he asks people to get baptized. In other words, they come down in the water. And now he takes something that used to be very personal and private and very common, everyday, orientated. And he now makes it public. And he says, hey, I want... So basically, if people connected with his message, they then moved into the water and publicly said, we are going to to get baptized. They're basically identifying with John's message um, with their just, okay, the washing and the message, they kind of go together. People, in other words, would, well, the way I would say it and the way I sum it up is uh, people were going public. That's all they were. Step in public. Saying, hey, I identify with what this guy's saying. I identify with his message. It's identification. Now, here's why it's identification. Here's Jesus then shows up. This is recorded in John chapter 1. If you want to look at it this week, I encourage you to check that out. John chapter 1. Jesus shows up. John the Baptist looks out and he says, there he is. The son of God, the promised one, the one I have been telling you about. There he is. Jesus then comes into the water to get baptized by John. John throws a fit. John's like, no, 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 no. No, no, I can't do this. You should be baptizing me. Jesus says, no, this has to be done. Now, I want you to pause. Why does it have to be done? Is Jesus repenting? Think about this. Those of you who grew up in the church know that Jesus, we teach, Jesus was without sin, so he couldn't be repenting, right? He's perfect. He's holy. So what's he doing? He's simply identifying with Jesus' message or John's message. He's simply saying, this guy has been the forerunner for me. I identify and I basically associate with his message. This is legit. I identify with it and I'm going to publicly state it. Now, John says, John the Baptist 
John the Baptist, that's how he gets his name, the Baptist, the baptizer. John the Baptist says, this guy, Jesus, is going to not only baptize you and wash you with water, but he's also going to baptize you with the Spirit. So in other words, as this work now happens, you're going to get something really cool. Those of you who are going to believe in Jesus are going to have the Spirit of God move and live inside of you now. So it's simply an identification with the message. Baptism does not save me. Baptism does not, man, it's, it's my way of getting into heaven. It's just simply publicly stating something that already happened, an identification with the message. The way I teach it to kids, when I, you're going to see some kids get baptized, and here's how I say it to kids. I basically say to kids, I say, you're on God's team. It's all you're doing. I want to ask my son. I know he's here somewhere. There he is. He's there in the middle. Um, he wore something very special for you all today. And he did because I don't have one of these. I'm very jealous of him. I don't have one in my size. So I had to ask him to wear this. And I asked him to co- put this on for me. It was his idea. And I said, okay, we're going to have some fun with this. He says, okay, I'm okay with that. I said, you sure? He said, yeah. So what is this cool thing he has on? Isn't this awesome? Hey, nice colors. Yeah, that's nice. That's, now, first of all, Lukey, what are you wearing? A Miami Dolphins jersey. Uh, nice job, Miami Dolphins. Now, did your daddy force you to like the Miami Dolphins? No. Who's, whose idea was it to like the Dolphins? Mine. Why do you like the Dolphins? Because of their colors. Because of their colors. <laughs> Chip off the old block. That's why I like them too. They're nice colors. Is that orange? You, you want an orange jersey, right? Yeah. Yeah, you'd like an orange one. He'd said. So, now, here's the thing I want to ask you. Why does he wear this jersey? He likes the team, right? He's identifying with the Dolphins. Now, ladies in the room. Ladies in the room. Why do grown men wear these things? Have you ever wondered that? We went shopping this week, my wife and I, Christmas shopping, and we thought it'd be really cool to get one of these cool jerseys. You know what these things cost? The real ones? The nice ones? Why do grown men pay that kind of money to get this stamped on them? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, ladies, I mean, think if you have, if you have your husband or boyfriend or a friend that wears this, you know, it's funny. You know, it's funny. Most of them couldn't catch the ball if you rolled it to them. <laughs> but they put this jersey on like, I am the stuff. You can sit down there, bud. Thanks. So if you think about it, they're identifying with the team. Or if, or if you're kids or if you're here and, you're, and you play soccer. Or you play basketball or baseball. Why do you put the jersey on? If you're, you're, cause you're saying I'm on the team. So when I come to watch you play, I can identify you're on this team and I can see other kids there on that team. So when I put that jersey on, I'm simply saying I'm on the team. Or I'm putting a Dolphins jersey on to say I'm proud of the team. Or I hide it in my closet when I'm not so proud of the team. I'm simply wearing it to say I am on the team. I'm proud of the team. So that's really, in a lot of ways, in a very simplistic form, what baptism is. It's basically, it's basically, I've made a decision on the inside, now let's show it on the outside. It's not private anymore. John the Baptist kind of came along and set a model to let's make this thing public. Matter of fact, I think today, if Jesus were around, I think this thing would be so public I'm personally not a big fan of private baptisms where you go to your own private home and have a pond out back or a swimming pool and have just a few select friends. This thing is full-blown public. I think if Jesus were alive today, he might even encourage us to take an ad out in our Lancaster newspaper and publish all their names. 
They're on Jesus' team. Or on WGAL or an FM 97, run a full-blown ad that says these, these nine people today, they're on Jesus' team. It's public. Now, I want to sum this up, then we're going to move to the baptism. Kind of bring all this kind of talk about this word baptizo and how we got to where we are today. Here's what we can kind of see then from the history and the progression of the word and how it moved from a very common everyday thing to a very much religious and theological thing. Um, baptism, again, is a public declaration. It's public. It's very public. I am here to say every person that gets in this tub, this cattle trough, if you have, I know some of you wondering what that is. It's actually made for horses. So um, but you get in this water. They are saying, I am associated with the message of Jesus. The second thing they're saying is it's a personal decision. This is something that I did personally. That's why when someone will call me after a baby's born and say, hey, will you christen my baby? Will you sprinkle my baby? My answer is, no, I'm sorry, I won't. Because to me, this is something that is personal, that a decision that I have made. Every child that gets in this water, there's a couple children. My son is going to be one of them. I'm going to be a proud papa this morning. I mean, I am all excited. But my son is not doing, we made sure every kid that gets in this water, it's a decision that they have made, not mom or dad have made for them or their Sunday school teacher or anyone else. So it's a very personal thing. The final thing I would say is it's, it's not a condition of salvation. It's, you don't need to do this to be saved, but it's evidence of salvation. I always tell this story. There, if you know the Easter story, there were three crosses. Three, Jesus was in the middle and a thief on each side. The one thief makes fun of Jesus. The other one accepts Jesus' message. Jesus looks at the one that accepts him. What's he say to him? Hey, dude, I'm really sorry. You're flat out of luck. You're going to have to find some way to get off and go get wet before you get to heaven. That's not what he says, right? He says, no, today I will see you in paradise. Now, where this third one gets mixed up sometimes is because when you read the New Testament, when you actually read through it, one of the things that I see a lot is form is not nearly as important as timing. This is huge to me. The New Testament seems to teach that when a person is, comes to faith in Jesus, it's just natural to move right into salvation. And at times, some of the verses put them so it looks like they are right on top of one another in, in the order in which it happens. And so, and form, you know, we offer pouring here. We will pour or sprinkle here. We will immerse here. Form's not a big deal. You know why to me is forms? Because Jesus knew the message would spread all around the world. All around the world means the Sahara Desert, right? Not a lot of water in the Sahara Desert. So Jesus isn't going to say, if you don't get fully blown immersed, you're fresh out of luck because there's not a lot of water in the Sahara Desert. Or how about Alaska and some of your northern real frigid points? You could kill someone dropping them in water in sub. I mean, some of you have lived there. You know, I mean, it's not a wise thing to do to get in a tub of water in the middle of the winter. So form's not a big deal, but timing to us is. Timing is a very big deal to us. If you're a believer in Jesus, it is a natural thing to do to go public and say, I'm going to get baptized. Now, here's what we're going to see this morning. I'm going to pray here in a minute, and we're going to, this is what you're going to witness. And here's, we're going to talk to three groups. First group I want to talk to in the room. If you're here this morning and you are completely unchurched, or maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what? <laughs> I'm not so sure about this Jesus thing. Or maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what? I don't even, I'm maybe a little atheist. I lean atheistic. And first I want to say thank you so much for coming. I, I, thank you for coming. Thank you for being honest with where you're at with Jesus and continue to be honest. Here's my encouragement to you. When this, when you hear each person's going to have a story, we're going to have our people that sang are going to read their story, if you want to call it that, of how they have journeyed with Jesus. 
If you're a person this morning that's kind of skeptical, that you really listen to their stories. Listen to the common thread that runs through them of the fact that they understood that they're separated from God. God loves them so much, so he sent Jesus to bring them into relationship with him. And all it's about is simply looking at Jesus and saying, I trust you. I have faith in you is the word you may hear thrown around. Or I'm, hey, you're you're legit. I, I, I buy into this thing and I'm all about Jesus. So I'd encourage that. The second group of people, maybe someone here who say, I'm a Christian, but I've never been baptized. I would really strongly encourage you to consider getting baptized at your first opportunity. Listen to these stories and watch what they do and say, man, be encouraged by their boldness and say, hey, I want to do that. Third group is this. And I think this might be one of our larger group here is the group that's here that says, I am a Christian. I'm a Christian and I've been baptized. Celebrate. It's my message for you. When they come up out of the water, I cheer. I don't care. I know this is a stoic German cultured group and we sit on our hands and we don't show a lot of emotion. I get that. But this morning, cheer. I mean, clap at least. Be excited because they're celebrating a miracle that has happened in their life, new life in Jesus. There's nothing like it. I never want to get used to this. So cheer for them. So you aren't celebrating. You're celebrating the fact that these people are identifying with the message of Jesus and they have new life in him. So cheer and celebrate. Why I love this so much is my faith as a pastor gets bigger every single time we do this. My faith gets bigger. I'd encourage you to allow your faith get bigger if you're a Christian in here. I want to close by reading this verse again. We started with it, Matthew chapter 28. I encourage you to look at it this week. Matthew chapter 28, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. They're going to come forward here in just a minute. You're going to hear their stories read. They're going to carry a red card like this with some stuff that they're thankful that Jesus has forgiven. They're going to pin it to the cross to say this is all about Jesus and what he has done. You're going to at times see some people on the stage with them. At times you may see someone other than me baptize them. They, every person that's been a part of this, the people on the stage are saying, hey, these people up here have been a part of my spiritual journey, and I wanted to sell them to celebrate up here with me. Um, so that's what you'll see that. But, but celebrate. I want you to really celebrate. Let me pray for us. Uh, I'm going to see a short video, and then we'll jump right into the, the baptism. God, thank you so much for Jesus. God, thank you for this time to celebrate. And God, I pray that deep in our hearts, we can truly do that. God, if there's people here this morning that, that can say, you know what? I'm not too sure about this Jesus thing. That's cool, God. I, I, again, I'm so glad they're here. I'm honored that they're here. Uh, they were very brave to come here. Probably for some of them, it was downright scary. Maybe they came because their friend or their family member is getting baptized. And, and maybe they came at the invitation of a... Of a of a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife. And so God, would you right now, as these next 10 minutes unfold, would you speak to them? Would they know in, in their way that you are real? And God, would they maybe for the very first time call out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I have faith in you. Would you please save me and bring me into relationship with God? God, then forever, the rest of us in the room, would you really challenge us and encourage us and strengthen our faith as we celebrate the new life? What a miracle. May we never, ever, ever get used to seeing 
new life, people come to know Jesus and growing in that relationship. Again, thank you so much for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.